0: hello 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 everyone and welcome back to the grid talk podcast this is episode 131 of the grid talk podcast and today it is hosted by myself steph wentworth from all about steph one on youtube now in this episode joining me to talk about the dutch grand prix we have a uh, grip strip podcast philip matthew hello and we have everything f1's tom downey hello so it's just the three of us today. We're going to be getting into the nitty gritty. But before we get into it, we'd like to give a shout out to D niji from the USA who gave us a fantastic five star review. So if you guys want to get a shout out on the next podcast make sure you leave us a five-star review on itunes and let us know what you've been thinking of the podcast but we're going to get straight into it today very very exciting because this was the first weekend that we were going to be at the dutch grand prix we were going back to zandvoort for the first time in decades so as fans we were very excited to see the dutch grand prix and see how the race was going to play out but it didn't quite deliver on the expectation there's been a lot of hype we've been waiting for this race since last year but did it deliver? It was a lights-to-flag masterclass from Max Verstappen, really. And yeah, let's just get into it. But let's start off with the uh, with you guys uh, rating what you thought of the race out of ten. What what would you give this one?
1: Um, I'd probably give it a six. It was it, it, it it's it's one of those events or things where it's just like. Giving you like a four or something feels harsh because there was there were you know, a few bits of action here and there, but it was never going to be like a 10 out of 10 banger wheel to wheel every single corner. So I, I, I think sort of like six out of 10, sort of like just sort of existing without any significant impact, good or bad, is probably fair. Phil?
2: I figure I'll go in and around that. I'll say five um if you're a max or Stoppin fan of course it was like a hundred um other than that i mean for certain people this weekend i think it it probably wasn't as good for mercedes for mclaren it was a nightmare weekend which we'll get into but uh i would say it's a five a uh, beautiful circuit it's a legendary circuit um it's probably more suited to smaller cars because even touring cars have problems driving there too so uh but great circuit they brought it back for max and uh he delivered so credit to him credit to all the fans that showed up and uh you know that they're probably going to be around for a while the dutch grand prix will be back they may add a a second one hopefully for him and his sake it'll go to Aston too which would be good which would probably be a better circuit for these cars but uh, at least for today i'll say five for the race
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it was quite average. There were some great bits, um, but overall, I think it just kind of underperformed with what the fans were expecting with the amount of hype that was around the circuit. What did you guys think of the banking in particular? Because this is the first circuit that we've gone to kind of in modern day, recent Formula One, where there's been proper banking and I thought the cars looked really cool really awesome we did see Seb take a little bit of a spin upward I think it was turn three so Tom what was your opinion how did you find, did you enjoy the banking?
1: I, I did enjoy it yeah and it, it was nice to see the car sort of going you sort of like turning laterally through the corners as well um, because so many modern F1 tracks now I know obviously Zandvo isn't a modern track but it has recently been redeveloped pretty significantly so it was nice to see them keep the characteristics of the old danville so and especially increasing the 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 um uh, the, the, the sort of angle of the banking especially around things like turn 13 as well i mean we saw some drivers pretty much send it around the outside through a few corners which had it been flat maybe they wouldn't have done and it certainly made for good viewing
0: yeah indeed phil any anything to add
2: yeah, I, I mean, I liked the, you know, how Tarzan was, you know, they reprofiled Tarzan kind of like the old days, and it and it helped uh, Checo especially through with his uh, path from back to into the plains. Uh The Lion Dyke turn, which is the final turn, was pretty cool too. I mean, it's a good, it's an ode to a two-time Indianapolis 500 champion, and it has more banking than Indianapolis, but it definitely helped. Uh, getting runs off the final corner down that straight. Um, I think the banking is a positive for the track, because otherwise the real section is that the, the S section coming out of what is that bank turn three, which is where Max, I think, basically won the race, because he has he ran through that corner better than anybody the whole entire weekend. So um, it definitely added a, a bit of flair, and hopefully that might be a move. For other circuits to do um as we move forward that are coming into f1 and are in f1 and can have the means to do that
0: yeah interesting so yeah positive uh positive feedback from the banking i think we all enjoyed the circuit in general just not so much the racing but let's get into it and start talking about the drivers and how well they were performing this weekend so we had ended up with Just the three retirements, we ended up with Nikita Mazepin, who retired first, Yuki Tsunoda retired after that, and then George Russell retired right towards the end of the race, but I'm assuming he completed more than 90% lap distance, so he should be uh, classified. Uh, We will correct that if it is incorrect, but yes. So let's start off with Mazepin. Um, It's been a bit of an interesting weekend for him, actually. There's lots to pick up on. We saw that he had an incident with Mick Schumacher in qualifying, and... He had an incident with Mick Schumacher in the earlier stages of the race where he was kind of pushing him up against the pit wall like we've seen him do in F2. Tom, what do you make of Mazepin? Is he getting too aggressive now?
1: This isn't the first time we've seen Mazepin push someone up against the pit wall and get his elbows out. Now, I'm not saying for a second that he should just drive around and let everybody drive past him because... He's a racing driver, and he is instinctively going to get aggressive. I get that. But there's a difference between defending your line and aggressively squeezing someone off the track. We saw it with Mick in Baku, where he nearly put him in the wall doing the best part of 200 miles an hour. He's done it again this weekend. He did it in F2. I'm not going to go through his history of doing it because there's not enough hours in the day. Yes. But... Um, yeah, he he's not doing himself any favors with with things like this. And and again, I get it that in F one, it's like the first person you want to beat is your teammate. And and and, and I, I put it back, um in in getting stuck in and trying to fight Schumacher, especially as he's effectively come into F one as like the sort of like he's he's sort of like the evil stepchild. And then Schumacher is effectively the golden boy, you know because that that's what it that's what perhaps the media perceives it to be, you know, especially with Maspin's off track actions um and obviously Schumacher being the son of who he's the son of but yeah Mazapin with with the, with the thing in qualifying how he didn't get a penalty for that, I will never know. I know you covered it off yesterday, but the fact he didn't get a penalty for it is quite frankly ridiculous um although having said that, his engineer should have helped him in that. She should have said, you know, Vettel's on a hot lap, be careful. But yeah, and then, you know, retiring with what was reportedly a, a hydraulic issue, cool, whatever. You know, you were plumb last anyway. So, you know, it's not going to make much difference to the championship, is it?
0: Indeed. Yeah. So he was our first retirement. Um not really sad to see go. He wasn't really affecting the order too much, but our second retirement was Yuki Tsunoda. He's been having a weird weekend as well. He was the first guy to um have an incident in practice. Um I think he went out with a power unit issue. That's what AlphaTauri is saying. There was some um some inconsistencies with his power unit data, so he was ended up being retired as a result of that. So, yeah yuki uh yuki's race phil was it really anything to report on it kind of was very quiet
2: when your teammate is is qualified fourth and finished fourth which we'll get into later and you were i mean the one thing i'll say there's been the excuse about yuki oh he hasn't went to this circuit or that circuit a lot of the circuits that we've went to i think they've had in formula two and formula three um this circuit he might have ran in formula three i don't know for sure but the fact of the matter, or in one of them, Formula 3, form whatever, because there's multiple layers of that. Um, but this weekend, he struggled off the jump, and he really didn't have anything. Uh, qualifying went sideways for him, so then he was on the back foot then. And then, um, I mean, for Honda, if there's going to be one car that's going to be the sacrificial lamb, uh, you know, Yuki's car being the one is not the worst thing instead of it being the guy who's challenging for the world championship or in Gasly's case, trying to battle for a top 10 spot with a midfield team, uh, you know, and even for Checo after yet his latest run from back to into the point. Unfortunate for him, hopefully the Monza Italian Grand Prix next week will be much more positive. Uh, circuit, of course, he does know and um, a home race for Alfa as well so we'll see what they have in store for that but um just a weekend to just write off and move forward for yuki Sonoda. um try to keep it cleaner and do better at monza
0: definitely and also so I've just gone look and looked at the uh, classifications, really. And Mick Schumacher is classified 18 because even though George Russell did have to retire from the race, Mick Schumacher was three laps down, so George still finished ahead. So how's Mick doing, Tom? There's not really much more that he can do in the car that's just genuinely the slowest one on the grid.
1: Yeah, uh, Schumacher's doing all he can. Um, and the, the issue is... The, the car that he's in this year is he's not really able to fight even like the likes of Dafa Romeo's or, or really the Williams anymore because even at the start of the year before teams started developing their car so there was you know those three were sort of like in the mix at the back of the grid you know maybe for battling to see which one of them was going to get out of Q1 um then to know came along um and then um and then started looking at the classification as well on my other screen um yeah, I mean, the only time we have seen Schumacher sort of actually in a position where he's really been fighting was in Hungary, when he was getting when he was, you could argue, lucked into the position he was in, where he was up. I, th- I think he was up about P ten or something. Obviously, when all the carnage unfolded in front of him, um, and he really got his elbows out when people like. Uh, it was one, of, one of people like Verstappen, Stappen, and, yeah, yeah, and, and like Alonso and Hamilton were all trying to get past. Um, I, I, I might be making that up with Hamilton, but th- there were a number of drivers who were trying to get past him. He was not making it easy. He was really getting his elbows out. He was really sort of like making that hash as wide as the tractor that it is, and he was just he was just effectively stopping people from getting past. Let's not forget, he is a Formula 2 champion as well in what was a pretty competitive year for F two, Granted, yes, he only came, what, fifth or sixth or something the year before. But there was a point through his second year in Formula 2 where something just shifted and he, he really got a lot more consistent and his driving matured and he's, he, he's, he's doing himself no harm in what he's doing. He's just going about doing his business um, sounds wrong. he's going about sort of like you know driving as best as he can in this in the situation he's in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's just adding to that C V and it's just only a matter of time before he gets picked up by a team higher up the grid.
0: Definitely. It's Biden, it's his time, really. Um, but let's move on to George Russell, who has had two consecutive points finishes in the last couple of races, and unfortunately it's come crashing back down. Um he was running quite high up, uh, P11, P12 uh, for the majority of the race. So he was doing doing a decent job before there was an undefined and undisclosed, an undisclosed issue that forced him to retire at the end of the race. And he did pick up that five-second pe- time penalty for speeding in the pit lane. So... Still, George's race, a little all over the place, um, but he looked like he had good pace. He's still very consistent, and bringing that Williams right up to the top of the grid, where it, it doesn't deserve to be, really.
2: Yeah, for this weekend, wasn't going to be as easy of a weekend for Williams, and to take the momentum from the last two Grand Prix with double points, uh, you know, they were looking to get, and just to finish in that top half of the second half of the grid, which is where they were, Eleventh uh, place, holding off Stroll and Vettel. I mean, really, Checo was the only one I was really overtaking back there. Uh, he did the best he could. The news that many of us have been waiting on is coming here soon. Uh, I mean, if if he if we're finishing on the podium and getting double, two points, consecutive points finishes in a Williams wasn't enough. Let alone making Q three. Uh, multiple times in that car, I mean, in the qualifying run he had last week at Spa. Uh, I don't know what happened. Maybe they're saving the the power unit. It was same sort of thing that happened with Yuki. We are getting to a point in the season where we're basically getting towards that third uh part of each, you know, for each uh, car, you know, third piece of all of you know the power unit, and. Kind of makes me wish they had four instead of three. So it would be a little bit more manageable, be a little more reasonable. You could kind of interchange stuff, but, you know, they talk about cost saving in Formula One, whatever the hell that is when Mercedes and Ferrari spend $500 million. But um, in George's case, he'll be going that way anyway. So he'll be able to be running up in the front end uh, here soon enough. Um, Unfortunate he had to retire while he was running up there. Um contending for the possibility of a point in the end. It probably wasn't going to come off, but for where they were uh, pace wise, and even after qualifying, when they both went off, um, that was probably as best as it was going to be this weekend.
0: Mm-hmm, indeed. And his teammate, Nicholas Latifi finished in 16th. He was two laps down. I mean, I'm going to start stop saying how many laps down everyone was because only the top three finishers were actually finished on the lead lap. So everyone basically was at, le- at least one lap down. So Nicholas Latifi finished in P16, relatively uneventful race, I'd say for him. Tom?
1: Yeah, Latifi couldn't really sort of do much. He was starting from the pit lane, on a circuit is pretty difficult to overtake on, um, you know, other than Schumacher, he was last, uh, you know, in terms of finishes on the road. Um, unless we would have had a safety car or a yellow flag or a big accident or or something, you know, much like we did in Hungary, um, he wasn't realistically going to move up the grid that much. Uh, he did put in a he did put in a good overtake on possibly Masakin. I think Mazepin, it was. I think it was. Yeah, it was, was right
0: round the, really yeah, the outside
1: of. Yeah, it was round the outside of turn one, and I really liked seeing um, see if he get his elbows out because I think he gets a bit of stick sometimes. Um, excuse me, but over the past sort of three or four races, he's really, really. I'd say since Austria, he's really started to improve a lot. Um and um, yeah, he was a he was sort of like he he just got about his business today um and you know again just touching briefly on yesterday he was on the cusp of making it out of q2 um i think if he could have if he could have hooked that lap up i think he would have certainly been close but he didn't um you know yeah, we'll before, never
0: know
1: no exactly unfortunately he made a slight error which put him in the wall and then williams elected to change his um obviously he had to have a gearbox replacement which was a five place grid penalty but williams opted to change his front nose uh, his front wing and his front nose cone structure so that's what warranted the pit lane start. so he just um he just did what he could um kept it, you know kept his proverbial nose clean um as did everyone in the race actually and you know, pretty much and he just yeah he just trundled around
0: mhm indeed yeah I'm looking forward to seeing what what more Nicholas Latifi can do because I do completely agree with you that he gets a lot of stick and I don't think it's necessarily deserved. I think he's going up against George Russell, who everyone's pinning to be this future world champion, and Nicholas Latifi might not be that, but we could recognise him for the fact that if he has the machinery under him, I think he'd be a very solid midfield driver. So, yeah. Uh, But you guys, if you are listeners of the show, you know that I'm a fan of Nicholas Latifi and I won't stop banging on about him. But uh, in P15, we had Robert Kubica, who we haven't seen on the grid since... uh, Well, I think he's done a couple of FP1s, but we haven't seen him drive in since 2019 when he was George's teammate. And then he stepped in for Kimi Räikkönen this weekend, who ended up with COVID-19, so was unable to race. Kubica, it was a very non-existent ra- I don't think I saw him the entire time I think it was about 20 laps in and I remembered oh Robert Kubica is racing Phil did you um I mean did you have that experience what did you what did you think of it I mean I wasn't really aware
2: <laughs> I mean I was I was confused yesterday because I hadn't read the news that uh Kimi had um tested positive for COVID so I was like that's weird i'm like oh maybe Kimi just decided I'll oh, screw it i'll quit now <laughs> um and because he already announced his retirement which wouldn't be out of the realm with Kimi raikkonen True. but uh unfortunately he had to miss this race um and considering what giovinazzi did in qualifying who knows what what Kimi could have done maybe but uh for kubica to get in in the car and and he was close he had a chance to make it out of q1 actually seemingly so if to get into that car only after three fp1s and a couple of you know doing the sim and testing deal and I mean he's a guy that once upon a time was a world champion like a future world champion driver people thought he was going to be that um, when he drove for Sauber with BMW and Ferrari had him on the line and all that where they thought they were going to pick him up. So the point is, the guy is a, was a great driver. He got screwed at Le Mans last week when the car shut off on the final lap. So, I mean, he, his luck is, is follows him no matter where he goes. Um, it's a sad thing. But uh, nondescript race, yes. Um, but when you consider where his teammate was who's been in the car all year and where he started relative to where he finished um, – He did what he had to do, kept it clean, kept in one piece to hand it back. Likely to Kimi next week if he gets through all the testing protocols and stuff. But it's nice to see uh, Robert Kubica, you know, drive uh, in F1 even if it isn't at the same level as he was, you know, back in 2008 and that area, the early 2010s or whatever.
0: Definitely. And speaking of his teammate, Antonio Giovinazzi ended up in P14, which was very disappointing because he qualified very well, I believe, and was having, or he could have been on for a decent race. But at the end of the first lap, he just seemed to have dropped a lot of places, which was very surprising to me because Giovinazzi is usually extremely good on the start and is the guy that's making up places rather than losing them. So were you disappointed, Tom, to see the performance that Gio kind of put out today? Were you expecting a little bit more?
1: Uh, I was initially expecting more from Giovanni. However, it does transpire that he picked up a puncture, which is why ah. he dropped down the field. Because um, when I saw him sort of like tumbling back and then I saw him sort of about P40 and I was like, hmm, that's not like him. Um, it was only when I either read or heard towards the end of the race that he had indeed picked up a puncture, which is why he's back down there. Um, that was why. And unfortunately, Zanvor, you know, it, it's based, they call hungry Monaco without the walls. I think that I think that accolade is now going to go to Zandvoort, um because Hungary. I think there's, there are at least some opportunities to get past, but Zanvort, you really realistically got the end of turn one, sort of round the outside into turn three. That is about it. Um, but um, yeah, Giovanazzi, fantastic qualifying yesterday. He's fighting for a seat for next year, especially with the rumours around. Um, People like Nick DeVries or um Alex Albon or someone coming in, I'm sure we'll get on to those in a bit. Um, and obviously with Bottas it, not confirmed, but possibly the worst kept secret in F1 that he's going there. Um, you know, very, very, very much Gio is fighting for his seat in that scene for next year. And with qualifying yesterday, he did himself no harm at all. He, you know, he 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 really outperformed that car. Um Granted, it's not entirely fair to compare him against Kubica because the last race Kubica did was 2019 um, at the end of the year. And obviously, you know, Kubica's obviously you know, had his rally injury and all the rest of it. But yeah, um, the race doesn't reflect how good Giovanazzi was this weekend. Um, the puncture essentially brought him out of contention. I think if Giovanazzi was still in there, I think he would have just about finished in the top 10. And I think he'd have picked up a point, maybe two points for Alfa Romeo.
0: Which would have been really positive for him and his kind of campaign yeah. to yeah uh, staying Absolutely. in Formula One. So it is disappointing. I didn't realize he picked a puncture. So yeah, I mean, definitely rate him a lot higher because Gio is normally really good. And on the opening lap, he was really getting his elbows out with the guys that were around him. He was kind of with the Alpines for a, for a while, and they were getting um they were getting quite close. And I thought, hmm, a bit of a bit of a battle going on here, but uh, it didn't end up playing out so disappointing but nice to know that it wasn't um that there was a reason for him dropping down but in p13 we have sebastian Vettel. now he took a really really early pit stop and we weren't expecting it and then he kind of dropped all the way back to the back of the grid but he was obviously at the back starting towards the back anyway so i feel like he he was quite unlucky yesterday in qualifying and then this strategy just kind of messed up his race didn't it phil
2: well, it's the usual Aston Martin, whatever, Force India, Racing Point, whatever they're, however many different guys as they've been, they come up with these strategies that make no sense. I mean, Mercedes is the only one that beats them on terrible strategy, but uh, in regards to Vettel, his race yet again was uh, ruined on Saturday because the Putin has decided to fight with each other and egghead wanted to go and run into um, Mick Schumacher because that's all he's good at is running into things and spinning. And so for Vettel, his race was run back on Saturday, did the best he could. I mean, when you consider how well he's doing relative to his teammate um, in uh, how much better he's doing relative to his teammate and points-wise, he's beating him. He's double the points of... Of Lance, and that's even, and that's taking not taking into account the uh, the second place finish that he did earn at the Hungarian Grand Prix, which would mean he'd have him like three times the amount of points. Um, and then there's rumors about him being replaced, which is weird. Um, instead of Lance, but um, unfortunate weekend for Vettel. Um, I think Italian Grand Prix, the car is a slicker car, more it's better on the faster circuits. So maybe they'll come back and be back into better form uh, for the Italian Grand Prix uh, in a week's time.
0: Yeah, and we hope that for his teammate as well, Lance Stroll, who didn't have a great weekend either. Um, Lance Stroll ended up finishing in P12, just ahead of Sebastian Vettel. Yeah, not not a great weekend for the Astons overall, is it? Do you think, Tom, the consistency of both Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll is down to the inconsistencies with Aston Martin right now?
1: Um, possibly. Aston seems to be one of the most inconsistent teams on the grid. I mean, one one weekend they'll be fighting for P15. The next weekend they'll be fighting for P5. And it, it just it, it, seems, it seems to depend if there's a full moon or something. Honestly, I can't quite <laughs> work it out. But... Um, but, yeah, you know, Aston have had some really, really good highs this year. You know, you know Vettel's P2, there wasn't a P2, but we all know he's a P2 in Hungary. And then his podium in Baku, you know, he was... Was, was he was P2 or P3 then? I can't P2, remember. Yeah, I think, P2, yeah.
0: p think Yeah, Gasly
1: was P3. Was P3, that's right. Thank you. And, um, and then they've had some good race results anyway, but they've also had some you know, fairly, like... Bang average non-descript race results such as this weekend. Um, much like Phil said, I do think next weekend will benefit them more. Um, I think Mercedes are expecting to have a better weekend next weekend because that whole super low uh, that super low downforce setup that we so come to expect at Monza, um, and it's going to benefit the low rate cars such as the Mercedes and the Aston. Uh, I, th- I think next weekend they will see an improvement, but it's up to Aston to keep it consistent.
0: Yeah. And another one with inconsistencies is McLaren. So the two McLaren drivers, we had Daniel Ricciardo in P11 and Lando Norris in P10. Now they've been really consistent for the first half of the season, and it's only in the last... um, Well, really, this weekend, but we kind of saw Lando Norris kind of falling off the pace, and everyone's like, "Oh, Lando's second half of the season is going to be terrible." When it's only it's only been one weekend, um, but yeah, the the McLarens who are currently in the fight for P three in the championship with Ferrari didn't really have a great weekend. Um, a few mishaps with the strategy. Phil, what did you just make of McLaren overall? Because Lando managed to pit Daniel just at the um towards the end of
2: the race yeah yeah it was it just i I go and say the circuit and everything didn't work for them i mean you look at lando didn't get a chance to make a a q2 run because of the incidents that took place or whatever or q1 whatever it was and he he, he yeah q2 and so he got stuck in 13th and at that point you're 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 basically in a bad spot Um, Ricardo's generally known as somebody who's a good starter, but in the end, he really couldn't make a whole lot of places early in the race and just basically kind of ran it out. I don't think the circuit suited these cars. I think that's part of the problem. I think Daniel didn't really have any pace all weekend, which was also a problem. Lando struggled, which is probably one of the first times all year where we could say that. Mm -hmm. So to be fair, okay, fine. Write this off it wasn't as bad as when ferrari at, at i i would say it's similar to ferrari at at uh, paul ricard where they were completely yeah. out to lunch and um, they couldn't even score points and so at least they got one point uh the two ferraris did score so they give a gap to them in regards to third and the constructors but write this race off get to go to the italian grand prix it's a circuit that i think will suit that team much better and and we'll see what happens now i mean i also look at it in regards of of lando that he was one possibly turn away or a couple turns away from possibly qualifying on pole and winning his first grand prix based on what they called last week's uh, uh, events at spa and um if it weren't for a wreck so let's be Let's be mindful of the fact that he has been the third best driver in points, period. He's been the best driver that isn't uh, Max and Lewis this year, and they're going to have off weekends. I think he'll get right back on it, though, and in, I think at some point, Daniel Ricciardo does have to respond. We've It's been half a season. We had the summer break. They need him now. To possibly go and get third in the constructors championship, so I think it's really a reset and go at the Italian Grand Prix for them.
0: That's exactly what it is. So yeah, I think th- they will hopefully be a lot better this uh, next weekend as well. Daniel Ricciardo has been quite successful around Monza. I think he it's a track that he likes, and uh, it's a track that I think will suit McLaren a lot more than uh, than this one. So. Well, fingers crossed uh, for a better weekend for them. We'd like to see them actually fighting the uh, the Ferraris rather than not being in the fight whatsoever. But moving on, we have Estevan Ocon in ninth place. Um, a little bit of a fall from that P one that he got in uh, Hungary before the summer break, but he's still not doing a uh, not doing a bad job at the beginning of the race. He thought he had a lot more pace than uh, Fernando Alonso, but it looked like he. Uh, He overused his tyres in the uh, beginning stint. He was pushing too hard. Fernando Alonso, as a two-time world champion and a Formula One veteran, he knows not to push your tyres too hard, especially on a circuit, which is notoriously going to be difficult on your tyres with the uh, lateral lateral loads that will be in place on the tyres. So, two different stories from them. We'll get to Fernando Alonso, but Tom, what did you make of Ocon and do you think he needs to be more... Wary of um, what he's doing, do you think he needs to learn more from Fernando Alonso before he departs the team?
1: I think so, yeah. Um, and being able to control, being able to control your tires, sorry, is um, is something which either comes instinctively to you. Look at Verstappen, look at how he won his very very first race back in twenty sixteen, um, and look at what his tire management has been like ever since then. If you look at all of the best drivers around they've got really really good tire control um so the likes of um hamilton for example um alonso is, is really good at doing it Perez is really good at managing his tires i mean i, I said to someone uh in the everything i've earlier that if um that given Perez was starting on the hearts i reckon he could have done the entire race if he wouldn't have had to have stopped you know, given how good his ability is. Um, and that's something that Ocon will probably learn as he gets on a bit. Let's not forget, Ocon is only the same age as me. He's only 26. And he had a year out as well in 2019. So, he you know, he's still got a lot to learn. And it's only now that he's alongside Alonso that he's really sort of alongside, like, the upper echelons of, of, of like, F1 greats, if you like. So it's something that will come to him and I can understand why in the first in he would have always wanted to push because on a circuit like vault you want to get as high up as you can as possible. But it is something which hopefully Alonso will sort of like pass on to him. Um, especially if you look at the dynamic those two have got, I mean, we all thought we were going to get the Max and Daniel bromance this year. But we ended up with the, with, with the Ocon and Alonso bromance, I think. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, am. Um, yeah, to answer your question, I've gone a very long way about it. Yes, <laughs> yes, I, I i do think Alonso will yeah. teach him that, and he will teach him like these little things over time. But it's not going to come to him overnight, and and it's it's things which he'll start to implement over the rest of this season and next season. Now that we know Alonso is staying on.
0: Yeah, so Ocon's basically got a season and a half to. Uh learn the ways of a two-time world champion, champion. What, be- what better way to learn am i right
1: absolutely yeah
0: <laughs> okay in p8 we had s ocon's former teammate Sergio Perez which Tom you just touched on i was a bit surprised with Checo because i was expecting some great tire management and then maybe 10 laps into the race we saw him do a giant like a, there was a huge lock up basically um and a giant flat spot on the tires, and then Red Bull had to bring him in because of vibrations. So, Phil, were you disappointed with Checo? I mean, he was providing the only action in the race. We saw a lot of overtakes. He's great at coming through the field. I thought he did a decent job from where he um from where he had to start, but I do think he could have been higher as well.
2: Yeah, if he had gotten qualifying right, then I think it could have been a Red Bull one too, honestly. Uh the pace that he had, he was the only person, as you said, Steph, that passed anybody, really, um, that wasn't about lapping. And other than the RG bargy that went on lap one, and they used up Antonio Giovanazzi. But the fact of the matter is for Checo, this qualifying issue that he's having has to be fixed immediately because – it's going to affect this championship. It's not for him as much for third in the championship, even though he is in play for that. Uh, But in regards to the constructors and supporting Max, uh, it's something that has to change um, immediately because we know how great Checo is with his overtaking, getting through the field. Tom mentioned it. You both mentioned it with the tire management, but it's like, I know he's good. And we know he's he's been at this for a decade or whatever. Uh, his qualifying has never been a strong suit, and it's a big issue. I mean, next week it won't be theoretically as bad because in theory you can overtake unless you're in a Mercedes. Uh, but in it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I I enjoyed watching him overtake people. Um, it's sad that he had to do that because he was stuck in the back, and then he also had a massive lockup. Uh, but you know, I, I think one of these days, Chaco's going to put this qualifying together and then it's going to be a real problem for the Mercedes duo or well, Mercedes one and a half because of, (laughs) um, because Valtteri is already halfway out the door and he checked out already today. So, um, it's going to be interesting as we go on through the rest of this, these next 10 races for sure. Or however many races that are left.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right, and uh, well, we don't know how many races are left, do we? I mean, half no. of them could get cancelled. We'll see. We'll see. But um yeah, you're right. Once Treco turns on qualifying, um, I think Red Bull will be a really difficult team to stop. But moving on to Carlos signs in number seven. Oh, Tom looked like you wanted to say something. Did you want to interject?
1: No, 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 no. Sorry, I was, I was just scratching my nose.
0: Oh, I just, I just, I just thought you wanted to inject. And uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> no. Let's talk about Carlos Sainz. Um, so, in the end, uh, Fernando Alonso managed to pick Carlos Sainz uh, to P six, but the Ferraris were quite close together for the entirety of the race. So, Carlos Sainz ended up in P seven. I thought he did a decent race. I mean, I think the way that him and Charles are both performing, they're quite equally matched in the Ferrari. And I think it, if it had been the other way around and Sainz was, uh, had qualified ahead and Leclerc was behind, I think it would have stayed that way as well. Tom, what did you make of Carlos's race? Anything really to report?
1: Uh, not an awful lot to report with Ferrari. I mean, they both qualified really well and held their positions. Um, I I, I, think, I think they swapped a couple of times when one was pissing, or the other was pissing, mm. but they were never really going to get certainly not past like Bottas, you know, Bottas was having a race by himself. Um, I think, I think the only real sort of battle they were having was with Gansley in front of them, but Gansley is so strong. He was able just to hold his own anyway. And, and yes, yeah, they just—they just, they just couldn't, they, they, they couldn't really improve on where they were. Um, they didn't fall back down the order, which is good, obviously. Um, you know, you know, they defended when they needed to. They didn't get into any trouble with anybody else or, or each other. Um, you know, it's a bit of a proverbial Sunday afternoon drive for them, really
0: yeah indeed indeed um but let's talk about fernando alonso the guy who managed to get past one to split the ferraris um we talked about him briefly with esteban ocon but i feel like fernando alonso has really come alive in the second half or towards the end of the first half of the season and going into the second half i think he's driving fantastically um he was wise very wise at the beginning of the race and i think that um a lot of the young guys can learn from from fernando alonso and he was very very clear he was like i can go faster but i am managing my tires and i thought that was so smart of him and he ended up with a p6 so he ended up uh three places ahead of his teammates so i mean i honestly can't fault the guy i think he drove really really well
2: yeah well when you're two when you are fernando alonso you can get (laughs) exactly uh (laughs) that's literally what it is uh I like Fernando Alonso version 2.0 a lot. Uh, he seems to have mellowed out. His sense of humor has come out. He's very, he's very serious and he's very focused when he gets in the race car. But he seems to be a much better guy overall. And in turn, he's also, I think, become a better driver, if that's possible for a guy who, at his peak, was one of the greatest drivers ever. And you know, he always, he will be. Um, He's basically the reason why Spain cares about F1, even though they really are a motorcycle country and all that. But um, great race by him. He continues to show outside of the Esteban Ocon win at Hungary that he has been the better driver this year um, for the majority of the year. And I think it's good momentum for Alpine as they build towards 2022 and trying to look towards maybe hedging that next level of the McLaren Ferrari battle or maybe they're looking even further forward I mean the way things are going with engine suppliers and with all the silly season maybe they actually go out and supply another team which in turn might help another one of their junior drivers who they seem to have hundreds uh, get on the F1 grid so um, that will be something, but in regards to the veteran, the great Fernando Alonso, he showed that you can overtake, you can manage your tires and you can actually have a nice solid run. Yes. Would he have wanted more? I'm sure he does. He's won all these races and championships, but for what it is, he came into this season knowing that it's more about 2022. So anything he's getting right now is gravy to him and, um, uh, sixth place considering where their car is at. Um, is probably about as good, maybe a top five finish here and there, but really sixth place is about as good as you can expect uh, for uh, Fernando Alonso. And we'll see what happens at uh, one of his better circuits at Monza.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a sixth place is great for where the Alpine is in terms of the midfield cars, because if you want to put the McLarens and the Ferraris ahead, then he definitely shouldn't be in sixth place. So I think... His cheeky little results here and there are uh, a, a quite a testament to uh, how fantastic of a driver he really is. Uh, but we kind of briefly talked about Charles Leclerc. I don't really think there's much more to say. He was very much similar to Carlos Sainz in that they, they both qualified really well. I think Charles had a really quietly great race, but I was a bit disappointed to see Pierre Gasly start to kind of bridge bridge that gap or the the gap opened up between Pierre Gasly in fourth place and Charles Leclerc in fifth for the majority of the race. Um, and I thought Charles might have been able to challenge Pierre a little bit, but alas, uh, that didn't happen. But let's talk about Pierre, um, because. He is honestly doing a fantastic job. I think I could, I don't think you can fault him whatsoever. The Alpha Tauri car is definitely not the third fastest car on the grid, but yet he's still dragging it up. Best of the rest every week in qualifying, best of the rest in races. I mean, that's what he got today. P4, a lonely little race, Tom. But honestly, this driver is, this man is doing a fantastic job in this midfield team, isn't he?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, there's only so much waxy lyrical we can do about Pierre Cousley, Um, and it's only a matter of time before he gets snapped up by a senior team. Um, if he wouldn't have had his failed outing at Red Bull in 2019, um, you, you'd think that a few teams would be queuing on the block to get him on their books by now. Um, you, you know, it was almost unfortunate that he qualified P4 behind the usual Hamblet Ver. Ahead of him, obviously not in that order, but um, it, it just meant that he was just driving a very quiet race by himself. You know, he he did, he wasn't really battling with anyone. You know, Bottas was far enough ahead of him that that you know that even a Bottas pitted, which he did obviously, and you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, Dazzy was never going to catch him, but he was also far enough ahead of Leclerc that even though um, you know even though the Gassdi pitted before him. Once, um, once Leclerc and Signs pitted, he he was straight back up to fourth. You know, it, it's a bit of a running theme with the drivers of this weekend. A lot of them finish where they started, and they did well to qualify in the positions in the positions they were in. So, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about that. So you know, he he's a fantastic what driver. What can you say? Well, yeah, exactly. You know, he, he's really matured as a driver. Um, and he's obviously incredibly settled in that AlphaTauri setting. So my only concern, obviously, when we saw when he went to Red Bull, now we all know how much of a pressure cooker Red Bull environment is, and you know, especially with that almost now slightly infamous second Red Bull seat, um, I'd be a bit concerned about him going back to Red Bull. Now I know he's made some remarks about next year. Obviously, they're sorted with Perez, but who knows for the year after. Um, yeah, I don't know how much longer he can, for himself, that he can stay at the likes of Alfa Obviously, we've got Hamilton on a two-year deal. Um, you know, what if Hamilton retires after that two-year deal? Space opens up, Mercedes still at the top. Pierre has proved himself. Jess, put it out there.
0: It's an interesting one, Toto. If you're listening, uh, we want credit when uh, when this happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take 10% finders free. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>
0: Well, the guy who's probably going to be losing the mid Mercedes seat um, in the next few days at Valtteri Bottas P3. I feel like there's a lot to unpick with Valtteri and his race today, and I just know that Phil is excited to get into this one. The beginning, yeah. he got that radio message that was just like, uh, "You on this pace, you will not be competing with." the leaders and then towards the end of the race he was told do not go for fastest laps you he will take that point away from Lewis Hamilton or that was the uh, the reading between the lines part of it yeah but he was told not to go for the fastest lap and then he got the fastest lap so I'm sensing that we could have a little bit of tension in the Mercedes garage Phil just break down the Bottas race for me
2: I mean, I think we could combine the Botas and Hamilton race, but yeah. you, Tom will get to talk about uh, Hamilton in this case. Let's but,
0: talk about them together. Yeah, let's talk yeah, about I them mean, together.
2: We could do it, I think, because the fact is their strategy, they admitted that they screwed it up, which was, uh, duh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they did. Um, it was horrendous. Their strategy was atrocious. Um, they basically said 10, five, 10 laps into the race to Valtor. Yeah, you're done. Um, and then he's like, what? What? And then he just (laughs) sat there and drove around, moped around for most of the day. And then for whatever reason, which was, it was inexplicable. They pitted him for tires. They should have just left him out there on those tires. I mean, they were saying it, Jensen and, and Crofty were saying it. I'm like, why are you there? Like, why are you doing this? If Max has a problem, I mean, they figured he wasn't, and they could see whatever data, but it's like, if you pit both of them and then he has a problem, he may still win the race anyway. I mean, he was so far ahead. It didn't make a dang difference what Max did. But um, they shouldn't have never pitted Valtteri Bottas in that spot. And then when they see him going and putting purple sectors in, he already knows he's done. He already knows he has a job next year. What difference does it make to him to set up fast lap? The point stays at Mercedes. Um, so I was, I kind of got a kick out of that personally, even though I'm a Lewis guy. I'm like, this is dumb, but I'm like, I enjoyed well. <laughs> that, This is, this is, you're just basically setting up your own pain. Um, and Toto started stuttering really bad when they he had to explain all this horrible strategy. Well, yeah, because your team does this all the time. It amazes me how a team with this much resources and all that has such bad strategy. Um,
0: Do you know what's really interesting is we all used to say, oh, Ferrari's got awful strategy. Yeah. And and it's the tables have completely turned because Mercedes, now that they're in this close fight with somebody, they are a mess. They have no concept of, you know, pre-thinking or uh, anticipating what other people are going to do. They're just with the second i think it was the second pit stop of lewis yeah. and they pit him so early and he thought he was like i have so much life left in these tires and they were trying to like undercut Max with the medium tires and then make them go to the end of the race and it was just yeah. it was all very rushed and i was thinking wow the mercedes guys are, are just under they're just cracking under this pressure that they've got right now which is yeah. it's really interesting to see actually yeah.
2: i mean i think for the f1 for the broadcasters and all they just love playing lewis whining so then he'll go and get a fastest lap and all the people make all the fans that hate him angry um that oh he said a fastest lap when he's whining that's all they like to play like you never hear i mean max Verstappen is a robot anyways so you barely hear anything he says and half these people are i mean play a radio conversation from a ferrari driver play a radio conversation from a mclaren driver i'd be interested to see what lando says i i mean come on you have all these different things all these are like I would love to hear the Valtteri build. I just want the full unedited race thing between him, his engineer. Then you have Vals calling in. You have all these people like, come on. You, you know the guy doesn't care anymore. You basically are giving away the Constructors' Championship now when you make this call um, next week, which the point is this call was coming months ago anyway. Um, today might have been the beginning of the end for – Uh, Mercedes, at least on the constructor side, um, because um, you're going to basically be fighting two to one and a half, really. And um, it's unfortunate, really. I don't think Valtteri Botas is that bad of a driver. He's had a good run. He's been there a long time. He's done his part. He's won races. He's been a uh, one year. I think he was a championship contender, but um, it's time to move forward with the next generation and the next person that's going to have to carry the mantle at mercedes or whatever they're going to end up being and that's number 63 so um we'll hear about that he'll get to go and be in purgatory like his um finnish um uh, compatriot at alfa romeo probably start drinking some vodka and and partying hard or eating porridge while he's dancing to some upbeat music <laughs> or something. Who, Whatever Valtteri Bottas does, who knows what Valtteri Bottas really does. But um, yeah, interesting day for him for sure. But he wasn't the only one in that garage that uh, had an interesting day.
0: Yeah, he wasn't. So on the other side of the garage, we had Lewis Hamilton, who ended up finishing in P2. Put up a really good fight uh, against Max Verstappen for the victory. But I feel like this one was... Um, was Max's to lose. Was there anything more that Lewis could have done, Tom, or do you think he did everything?
1: Uh, no, nah, he couldn't really have done much more, could he? Now, bear in mind, I'm coming at this, I'm coming at this as a Max Verstappen fan, so bear with. Um, <laughs> Mercedes had the two drivers, and I can see what they tried to do where they tried to force Red Bull's hand with their strategy, but Red Bull had been in, in this position before. You know, We look at Hungary, I think, 2019, um, I believe it was Spain this year or last year. Um, and then there's been and then there was also France, I think, of this year as well, when there's effectively been the 2v1. Um Red Bull were wise to their tricks this time. As soon as Hamilton pitted, Max pitted the lap after just to cover him off. Um, yeah, I, I mean there wasn't much more Hamilton could have done. Um, you know, you know, it didn't matter what tyres he put on. Max was just able just to hold that distance enough, and Hamilton was never really in like attacking distance. If there would have been a safety car or something, maybe they they would have bunched up. But you know, much 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 like I said earlier, they were never going to get. Once we got through the first couple of turns, we're never going to have a safety car this weekend. Thankfully, Um, and yeah, there wasn't an awful lot Hamilton could have done. You know, he you know they both got pretty even getaways at the start of the race. We saw how aggressively Max was pointing his car to the right to cover Hamilton off. Um which we've seen Hamilton do in the past. We've seen whoever's on pole position do mm-hmm. in various circuits because obviously you know, you're a racing driver. You want to protect your lead. Um, but yeah, but just as soon as as soon as Max was clean into turn one, um Hamilton just you know you just you just you, you just you just couldn't really couldn't really keep up and yeah. watch. Hamilton what?
0: also had a really interesting turn one when you when you looked at it, he kind of like that's when Max started pulling away already, which was so interesting. I thought he'd be a little bit closer to Max until at least the end of the lap.
1: Yeah, so um, was something like seven tenths ahead just by the yeah. end of the first lap. Mental. Um, which which pleased me obviously, but um, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I think after a while, Mercedes realised that it's going to be a case of getting good of all the constructors' points. Um, and then, obviously, the issue with fastest lap like, was, like, you know, like Phil just said, where they basically, um, I said to I said someone earlier, this was like Mercedes saying to Bottas, bye, Felicia. You know, it's just, you know, <laughs> he, he he knows he's going, they know he's going, we know he's going. Just tell us, just just start messing about with them, Put us out
0: of our misery.
1: I know, exactly. It's like, did you see Simon and Nathan be on SkyFront cover say to Toto, will there be an announcement next week? And Toto basically said, maybe, maybe not. And then just had a massive grin on his face. They're and not we, very
0: good at hiding it, are
1: they? Well, no, they're not. But it's, 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 like, it's like the world's worst game of Chinese whispers by this point. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, it's just a case of actually getting, getting the announcements out. I think even the contracts are signed. Um, because did you see the beam on Toto's face after George printed P two in in um, Belgium last week, and then also Russell's body language not only the whole weekend but also the Thursday before we'd had any events in Belgium last week, that was the body language of someone who knows what they've got coming, and um, and the way Bottas answered questions, he was he was it was very much a way of like deflecting a question. Which you don't want to answer because you know the answer you're going to give is going to bring a load of questions which you're not going to want to face. Mm. So we all know what's coming. Um, I imagine the factory will find out a couple of hours beforehand, and then we'll have a will have a press release. I think I think probably Thursday. I think I'd we'll say
0: ha- Thursday. Yeah. I, I think Thursday we'll or Friday.
1: It, yeah, I I, th- I think we'll have it Thursday, maybe Friday. Ahead, but I think it's going to come ahead of the practice sessions.
0: Yeah, good it, bet. I think the whole Kimi Raikkonen thing has set everything. Kimi retiring from the sport has now set everything in uh, in motion. Machine. So,
1: yeah, absolutely, domino effect. Yeah, and then I, I wasn't expecting the Kimi announcement to come as soon as it did. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's why it just accelerated everything. So.
0: Well, I guess we'll wait and see. So come back know, yeah. to the next podcast to see what's uh, what's, what's been going happening. on, what's happening, our reactions to uh, to all the news. Because I feel like everyone in the paddock knows. Even Crofty, Crofty was talking about it all throughout the race that in the next few days there's going to be a series of announcements. So you guys better all stay tuned. Uh, but we have one more driver to talk about, and it is our race winner, Max Verstappen, a lights-to-flag victory in front of a home crowd. So he won last week in front of a home crowd but there wasn't really a race so yay for him last week and then he had his other home race really this weekend the Dutch Grand Prix and he is the first Dutch driver I think to win a Grand Prix so he is a big deal in the Netherlands and it was a big positive vibe for the whole, for all of the fans at Zandvoort, it actually looked really kind of awesome to be there. I mean, they were just all on a massive high the whole weekend. Um, But yeah, I think Verstappen drove fantastically today. He's back in the lead of the uh, Drivers' Championship, which is probably well-deserved because he he was driving exceptionally well today. But yeah, Phil, anything really to talk about Verstappen? I don't think we <laughs> there's anything more to say. He did everything it's, possible today. Yeah,
2: he did everything he needed to do qualifying you know he just got lewis there by 38 hundredths or 38 thousandths of a second uh on saturday and that really was the whole um deal there but then his first lap um tom mentioned it i mean you guys mentioned it i think he had 1.7 seconds on the first lap and the which is Crazy. Unheard of. um That's Senna, Schumacher, even Lewis and his best level. So that's where he is, really. And he's been the best driver all year, uh, best car. All these things are in Red Bull's favor. But, you know, just uh, I think, and fundamentally, the way he took those, the to turn three, everybody needs to look at how he handled turn three because he was two tens faster than anybody in that corner per lap for the whole entire weekend. And literally that's where he won the poll on Saturday. That's where he made his gap he, because once you get out of that corner, you're just launching through the S's and the back end of the circuit. Yeah, sure. You can get through Lion Dyke. You can, uh, in, in that's where he made the pass on Botas, which ended up being the race winning pass per se. Um, he looked like he had like 15 miles an hour, advantage on on botas so um credit to him in the Maxer stop in grand prix it looked like a college football uh here in america atmosphere like a football for you guys with uh, with all the colors literally yeah. it was an orange crush um so credit to them very it was a classy um they were classy i mean they had the dutch announcer the racers they kind of Guido van der Garde and Robert Durenbos both handled things well um kept them in line a little bit and uh you know I think also it was uh, uh just cool to see and I'm thinking because of this and if F1 knows what's good for them they'd be looking at Assen too and saying hey let's go and have two races there um just to have another European round it may be a better and I know it would be a better circuit for Formula One it's Wider, longer. Um, they have the facilities to do it. Um, they just have to make certain changes safety wise. But if, Mo- if MotoGP is going to run at Spa, then they can run at. at uh, then Formula One can run at Assen. So um, credit to Max. Retakes the world championship lead. It's going to be an interesting race next week for him um, when the Red Bulls are a very high downforce car relative to the lowest downforce track that we go to in Formula One. And can he hold off Lewis Hamilton, um, before they go into the next little mini break and another triple header of sorts.
0: Definitely. But it's been positive. Yeah. I think uh, overwhelmingly throughout this whole podcast, we've just been quite thankful and happy that it was such a beautiful, it was a beautiful location. The fans were great, fantastic atmosphere, great performance by, um, Max Lewis and a lot of the drivers on the grid, um, Less than uh, optimal performances from others, but we've uh, we've talked about that now. But I'm going to ask you guys one final question: Who was your driver of the day?
1: Um, I initially said Max, but I'm actually going to go with Perez. You know, he pretty much sized through the field, um and he he ended up P8 from, from a pit lane start, um, which on a track like Zandvoort. That's pretty good
2: going. Yeah, I was gonna go with Perez too, but um I'll go with Fernando Alonso. Uh because he he actually made up position somehow on this racetrack and uh finished sixth. So um yeah, I'll go with Fernando I mean I was thinking Gasly, but then he literally never was covered outside of his pit stop (laughs) he literally just did what he was supposed to do but um yeah i'll i'll go with fred um Uh, as my pick
0: i'll have to go with gasly then because you took my pick i was gonna say fernando alonso um but that's all right um we've all gone with different i like to i like it when we all go with different ones so that we um we change it up a little bit but that has been has been great i think we all very much enjoyed that race thank you guys for listening but we always broadcast these shows live on youtube when they happen so make sure you like the f1 chronicle on youtube so that you can see the show live as it airs make sure you turn on the post notifications and subscribe to the channel so that you never miss the content from us um, our podcasts are available on all the normal podcast streaming platforms on albums and music, uh, YouTube, Spotify, Verbal, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Omni Studio, and Pocket Casts. There's loads of them. Any anyone you could possibly imagine, just search for F1 Grid Talk. There is a massive back catalogue of shows. As I mentioned, I think this is 100 episode 131. So there are 130 other episodes to sink your teeth into if you fancy it. So just uh, just take a look and see if. Um, see if you fancy anything we have a subreddit just search for f1 grid talk and a patreon as well so you can support us if you want to help us get better recording equipment microphones so we can improve the quality for you guys everything will be down in the description we'll be back next weekend to oh no we'll be back tomorrow actually to preview the italian grand prix and then we'll be back with the quali report for this weekend and also the race review on saturday and sunday respectively so make sure you guys come back and tune in to all of the upcoming shows before we have a little break before going on to russia but thank you all so much for watching thank you for listening and we will catch you in the next show bye